for your rendition of our theme and welcome to episode 31 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast where we talk about the best Australian comedy show of the 90s ever made and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, Kim, Prue and Tony. The gang is back again, again, now that Tony has decided to join us, which is fantastic. So welcome back for uh, this year, Tony. Thank you. Alison had pointed out to me uh, earlier a few days ago <laughs> off, uh, off mic, um, basically, I'm becoming a jinx with some people. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. All for the love of this podcast because, um, yeah, the passing of Glenn Wheatley. See, I had reached out to Glenn in late 2021 for an interview for this podcast and, yeah, it, I got I got dadoed, but... It was, yeah, he's passing, unfortunately. Yeah, and we might, we might let that data when you slide, I think. For episode 30, I tried to get baby John Burgess as well, and then, unfortunately, he, yeah, he ended up in hospital. He's not dead yeah. yet. No, 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 he, he's completely fine. <laughs> so sending, sending love to Burjo. You're still welcome. Yeah. Come on, mate. I hope you get well. So, yeah. yeah he's, he's, he's got a bacterial infection. Thankfully, he's in a stable condition, but... Um... Gosh. Yeah, not good, um, but, yeah, I'm sure he'll get better. So, uh, yeah, putting out the love there to Burjo. And I do apologise to anyone in advance who I decide to invite on the show because, <laughs> yeah, third time's a charm, right? Maybe they'd better come on your show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or else. Unfortunately, with uh, Mr Wheatley, he did pass away and uh, he did have a major connection with the DGEN, especially when they were on Eon FM because... Uh, Mr. Wheatley was part of the Eon FM days. Tony and Jane had tweeted about um, their connection with it. Glenn did appear in the late show during John Farnham's Jesus Christ Superstar era. So that was uh, season one, episode six. Well, I'm backstage at Jesus Christ Superstar and I'm talking with John Farnham's manager, Glenn Wheatley. Glenn, you must be absolutely overjoyed with the way it's gone. We're very thrilled, Rob. Very thrilled. Really? Oh, yes. The response has been fantastic. Tell me, Glenn, the role of... It hasn't gone to John's head or anything like that. Johnny? Oh, are you serious? Johnny, hey, come on. 25 years in the biz, I mean, you know, he's, he's Unaffected. a pro. Unaffected? Pro. Yeah. I mean, of course. Not no. moved. Can we go and say hello? Absolutely. Great. Come on, come Good. On. Well, yes. let's go in and see what John's up to. Taking water into wine. As well as any other connection that Farnham was in relation to The Late Show, but also um, the little bit where the DJ actually met up with John Bing in the music clip as well of seemed like a good idea at the time. Tu dovresti suonare la fisarmonica per dare migliore apparenza di fronte al pubblico. What my grandfather is saying that if you want to crack the international market you should play the piano accordion. See the piano accordion. You've got an okay voice. It's okay. Diventano la bellezza di tutto il mondo. One guitar is useless he says. John. What's the one common ingredient of every successful rock clip? And yeah, you can see the entire music clip on YouTube if you just look at that up. Yeah, so Valet, Glenn Wheatley. Yeah, I was a big yeah. fan of um, Masters Apprentices, so I was very sad actually. Also, I just want to point out one thing that over the break as well, notice that on the Late Show Facebook page and group that 
A few people had been to Glen Rowan. That's right. <laughs> ah, damn, I'm still in Glen Rowan. Trying to find the wishing well and didn't one of our listeners, was it Ross McPhee? That's right. He posted on the Champagne Comedy Podcast Facebook page wondering if the wishing well, well was still there. Um, unfortunately, some recent floods um, mean that the entire place was actually undercover, so it was one giant wishing well. Um, <laughs> but our understanding is the wishing well is now a garden bed because uh, Tino, um, one of our regulars, regular listeners, went there last year. And Prue, you were there very recently, but I understand you only oh, just popped in to get a sausage roll or something. So. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I was driving to Canberra, and one does need to stop occasionally when you're driving to Canberra, so... I went to Glen Rowan and unfortunately I was there far too early in the morning to visit any of the, the live <laughs> attractions. But I had a very fine sausage roll. Did you wash it down with any lynch lime? No, but I, I had one of those embarrassing um, city folks in the country kind of moments where I was in the bakery and I thought, oh, I'll just be cool and I'll ask for a coffee. <laughs> and the lady in the bakery goes, oh, what kind of coffee? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, flat white. I don't know if you know that, but <laughs> anyway, it was great. Go to Glen Road. <laughs> and you ended up with a soy macchino, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, decaf. <laughs> yeah, decaf latte. I've got the paper. <laughs> Daniel G and his program guide. All right, so um, it's been three Saturdays since uh, the last episode of The Late Show. Um, just uh, to let you know briefly what you've missed, you've missed uh, the third day of the sixth test of the Ashes, uh, which was a foregone conclusion anyway. We won it. Yeah. <laughs> Aust- Australia, Australia, just to clarify. Um, Channel 7 started showing uh, Inspector Morse in repeats. Um, and Channel 10 had American Graffiti and uh, Robin Hood, uh, not the Kevin Costner one, the Patrick Burgeon one. Mm-hmm. Remember there were two Robin Hoods that came out in the same year? The serious one. Yes, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 can't, I can't remember seeing either of them. Inspector Morse, that must, that must have started so many decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, well fun, funnily enough, there was um, like recently, well, uh, recently in 1993, there was quite a lot of correspondence in the Green Guide as to what uh, Inspector Morse's first name was. It's Endeavour, <laughs> is yeah. it not? Well, we know that yeah, now, but they didn't know that then. Because, yeah, yeah. There, is, there is some sort of a prequel series now called Endeavour, isn't there? There's a long-running prequel series that my mother is very fond of, mm. yes. I've seen quite a bit of it. And how many people have to die in rural England? It's got that fine Roger Allen in it, who is a very attractive man. And, uh, yeah, there's another Inspector Morse uh, tonight, uh, the Saturday the 28th of August. Uh, So this is all from Ross Warnicke's Critical Guide. Uh, So, yeah, on Channel 7 at 9.30, we've got Inspector Morse, Croth Warnicke, Another repeat, but who cares? <laughs> Tonight, Morse and Lewis probed the murder of a deaf exam setter. Ooh. A, um, a deaf exam setter? Yeah, um, apparently somebody yeah, who, who writes exams for, that are used all around the world and uh, was finding his questions getting stolen. Didn't Lewis get his own show as well at some point? Yeah, he did, because yeah. John Thor died in about... 
I don't know, he died about 15 years ago or something, and so they, they wanted to keep it going, and so Lewis got a series. Uh, and that's followed at 11.45 by uh, U2's Zoo TV. Uh, you might remember this is the tour where they sort of performed up against the backdrop of um, satellite TV, live pre-recorded, you know, weird satellite TV imagery. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where this was performed, but um, it was broadcast on Channel 7 and simulcast on 105.1 Triple M. Sorry, I, I, I have to say it like that, but actually I should probably say it more like a 105.1. I wonder, if, um, I wonder if it was one of our local YouTube concerts because this yeah. was the year of all the um, big MCG concerts like Madonna. Uh, it might not yeah. have been because I think, I, think I think they actually came to Australia in I think November of 93. I think tickets were about to go on sale at the time of, of this episode. So I, I assume they must have been doing this for, for quite a while. And, um, yeah, Channel 7 got the concert on it. You, you know that concert series, what, each city they went to, they rang up a famous person in that city and talked to them. You know who they oh, rang yes. up in Adelaide? You, do you remember this, Daniel, who they rang up yes, in Adelaide? Yes, I do, yes. Graham Corns. <laughs> he was, he was uh, coach of the Adelaide Crows at the time. He was. Yeah, that, that's the only celebrity in Adelaide, Graham Corns. They, could, they couldn't even get Willsey. <laughs> had, had to settle for Graham Corns. On Channel 9, we've got Hey Hey It's Saturday, guest hosted by Stephen Jacobs, uh, who would have been in All Together Now at the time. Now, uh, <laughs> now should, should we call him Stephen Jacobs or, or should, should we acquiesce to, to him now being called Stevie Jacobs, as, oh, as he now seems to be called as a Today Show weather person? Isn't he a bit old for Stevie yeah. now? I mean, like, you'd start off as Stevie and then you'd go to Steve, wouldn't you? I don't think I've, I've ever heard of him being called Steve. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Up, up, up until I think about a month ago, he was doing pre-recorded breakfast on a few um, AM radio stations around Australia. And now he's gone. You could tell it was pre-recorded. He wasn't that good. So interesting that this man had far more integrity when he was on altogether now. <laughs> Don't forget, he did just kidding. Oh, <laughs> yes. I've tried to erase that from my memory. Okay, so on Hey Hey, we've uh, got the, the Sharp performing Scratch My Back from their album This Is The Sharp. Not Skivvies Are Back? <laughs> well, yeah. Will there be a parody on Season 2, Episode 15? I'll never tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also had um, Stephen's uh, All Together Now co-star Jane Hall and um, actor Lisa Hensley playing Celebrity Head. Uh, we had Jimmy Barnes performing uh, his soul ballad from uh, his album Heat called uh, Right By Your Side. Uh, we also had uh, Ariana Richards from Jurassic Park. She was one of the kids. Uh, for Red Faces, we had uh, Annie Jones, who at the time was starring in the sitcom Newlyweds and was soon to appear in another series we'll uh, hear about on The Late Show called Snowy. And uh, weirdly enough, we also had Bruno Lucia in character as... Wayne Chicky Babe Love It. <laughs> Which, like, it's, it's kind of apt for red faces, I think, considering, yeah, Bruno's playing a talent scout character. Uh, we also had Debbie Byrne performing Memory from Cats. Uh, now, she played Grizabella in the 1985 production and would uh, later on in 1993 uh, reprise the role. So, again, this might be a desperate ploy for tickets similar to you 2 uh, And then, uh, to top everything off, we had someone by the name of Wayne Jury performing a song called Walking on Glass. 
Now, there's a lot. I could not find anything on the internet about what this song sounds like. It's not even on Spotify. I don't know if that's in solidarity with uh, Neil Young, but um, <laughs> uh, it was produced by uh, uh, Vander and Young. Um, and basically, well, according to his bio, he was a protege of John Brewster of the Angels um, and later on co-wrote um, a top 10 hit by Alicia Rome from 1999 called Search My Heaven. Oh, and that's all I know about him. If you want to listen to the thing, you can pay the however much it is to the Hey Hey website. That is one of the most cheesiest pop songs, Search My Heaven. It is. I managed to find it, uh, that on YouTube. I also, look up One of Us Has Changed. That's even worse. Take note of that. Yeah. (laughs) When I'm next at the Salvos, says Kim. (laughs) No, I did pick up, I went to the Salvos today. (laughs) I picked up Baby the Animals for one buck. I love this album. I used to have this on cassette. So anyway. (laughs) And that is for our spin-off podcast. What crap have you found at the op shop? (laughs) Oh, sign me up for that. All right. So following all of that, frivolity. Uh, on, on Hey Hey, we had the film Trading Places. Says Warnicky, watchable 1983 comedy uh, with Ralph Bellamy betting brother Don Amici that a poor con man, Eddie Murphy, could run their business affairs just as well as their clever nephew-come-financial manager, Dan Aykroyd. So Aykroyd and Murphy swap lifestyles with not always predictable results. Mm. <laughs> Warnicky really not seems to like that uh, he seems to really love that word watchable because he uh, called um, a movie on SBS that uh, last episode. You know what we haven't really done? Warnicky! <laughs> yeah, he deserves it for that watchable. Welcome back, Warnicky. Get a thesaurus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially it's, it's trading places. It's a politically incorrect classic. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's legitimately good. You can use words like good to describe it. <laughs> All right, on Channel 10 uh, at 8.30, we had Rocky 2. Uh, says Warnicky, this 1979 episode is the least imaginative of the series, with Rocky suffering the inevitable fall after, and this is a spoiler alert from me, mm-hmm. his victory in the original film. Oh, no way. With Sly Stallone and Talia Shire. Well, I guess if you're comparing it to the one with the robot butler, it is somewhat less imaginative. that that robot butler was key to that film Stallone's new version has cut the robot butler out I hear I can't believe people aren't rioting over this I'm rioting (laughs) you're rioting right now Uh, over on SBS at 9.30 we had the film The Girlfriends Uh, says Warnicky this 1955 film was perhaps the first to draw attention to Italian director Michelangelo Antonioni its central character, played by Eleonora Drago Rossi, returns to Turin and becomes bound up in the lives of four of her old friends. A perceptive drama, he says. Um, or as the um, SBS marketing department put it um, a lot more succinctly, fashioning relationships in a world of high fashion. And uh, that brings us to the ABC. So the lead-in, still, even after three weeks, it's Birds of a Feather. What this episode's titled 30-something. Uh, Warnicky just builds it as Sharon fears her future will be as bleak as her past. <laughs> Aren't we all? Mm. So she was only 30-something in that? 
<laughs> they always seem so old to me when I was watching that show. Well, I suppose it, it sort of it beats uh, being Dorian, who's still a dirty cat. <laughs> I've, got, I've, I've got a crowbar in somewhere. Uh, that's all at 10 by The Late Show. Again, week after week, I think he's just been recycling the same uh, listing. Satire and sketch comedy from Melbourne's DJ. Now, uh, that's followed at 11 o'clock by a uh, biopic of sorts. Now, it's called The Sound and the Silence. Can any of you work out um, who that might be um, profiling? The Sound and the Silence? Beethoven? Oh, uh, Simon and Oates. I mean, no, Garfunkel. Well, no, Garfunkel. Garfunkel and... <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel, Hall and Oates. Sorry, I was also thinking of that comedy routine, you know, the uh, Garfunkel and Oates. Oates. I do like where where your your heads are are going with this, but unfortunately it's not musical. It's the Alexander Graham Bell. Bell. Ding, ding. New story of the inventor of the telephone boasts a tough cast. John Bach, Oscar winner uh, Brenda Fricker and Ian Bannon. Ian See, I don't know who, who I, I haven't looked up who any of these people are. Brenda Frecker um, is from Brides of Christ. Okay. Yep. Ian Bannon's a very fine Scottish actor. I think he's. I think he would be dead by now, but he's in. He's in lots of stuff. So uh, after that, at twelve thirty is the ATVI news, and then at one o'clock, Rage uh, with guest programmer Tammy Sidorenko, who I I was rushing to prep for this thing, so I don't know who Tammy Sidorenko is a member of. If you'll just let me quickly. Um, okay, on that um, baffling note, um, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> let's 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 get on with the episode. Thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate that. I will mention there is a competition later on in the episode, so stay tuned if you're still listening to us, please. It'll be worth it. <laughs> competition, not maybe, but the prizes, yes. The competition will be explained further on. Now it's time to break down and overanalyze Season 2, Episode 11 of The Late Show broadcast Saturday, August 28, 1993. And as Daniel had mentioned earlier, returning after a three-week break, they've got the opening with Rob, Mick and Tommy G are playing a game. And what type of game is it? It is... Let's get the Marbo game. <laughs> well, it's a funny one, this one, but I will say that the game itself was an amazing creation from the production team. <laughs> I, I, I love I loved the teetering layers of Monopoly boards and yes. and all, all the stuff on it. Yeah, essentially it's a, it, they've turned the Marbo land rights um, situation into a board game. Um, it's, it's multiple layers of Monopoly boards with cranes and, and all sorts of other things on it, and... Yeah, they're they're kind of struggling to play the game because it's very complicated, and that that seems to be the joke. Wow, this land rights legislation is really complicated, mm-hmm. and and then they they sort of they say you know what they cut over to to someone called Wayne, and I'm thinking who's this guy Wayne? And it was only when I watched the the final credits of the show that I was oh it's Wayne Goss, the Premier of Queensland. Okay, <laughs> so that would that would have been a reference probably most people would have got. In 1993, in 2022, totally baffling. <laughs> <laughs> it's an it's an excellent cameo. He he really he really puts forward that line. It's not that easy. I can tell you now. <laughs> so I'm um, I I sort of I looked up what the background to this was, and some of you might remember in towards the end of 1996, very early in John Howard's prime ministership, there was a decision in the case Wick Peoples versus Queensland. You might remember the Wick decision. 
and basically there's a um, indigenous group called the WIC in Queensland, and they were um, they were fighting to get the the rights to their traditional lands, and the issue was. And, and this sort of started off in the early 90s, this issue, that at the same time, an, an organisation called Camelco wanted to build an aluminium smelter and a power station on their land. So so the case really about WIC was about whether, you know, who had the rights to the land, the, the mining company or the, or the WIC people themselves. And I found an, an article on the Australian Financial Review website, which is dated the 20th of August, 1993, so just a week or so before this episode. And it opens like this. Queensland Premier Wayne Goss has fought hard in recent weeks to find a way to allow a Camelco aluminium smelter and power station project to proceed without derailing the land rights process. And so that that's basically what his his difficulty is he wants both these things he wants the mining and he wants the land rights and that's why it's so complicated and that's what the sketch is about basically that puts a a whole new meaning on on his appearance as well because i didn't well yeah considering he's trying to have a bob each way i'm I'm, I'm kind of surprised that he would have agreed to even be in a sketch yeah i mean also i i don't know where this was filmed i assume it was filmed in melbourne so you know it kind of looks like it was shot in a hotel room doesn't it yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where it's shot or, or anywhere. It could have been. Maybe they all fl- flew up to Queensland. Don't know. But, um, you know, I guess for a Melbourne-based show to get the premiere of another state is probably a bit of an undertaking. Now, after the opening titles, we have the opening remarks, and Mick is solo on stage. This is probably the first time he's done this. And Hurrah! <laughs> and he does have to express some feelings. We love you. Not a cheap love, not a nightclub kind of a love, but a real <laughs> They're not buying it, face. <laughs> They're not buying it all. But he did try to set up the fact that Tony is not around because he's heartbroken over Joe Bailey getting the sacking from Sale of the Century. And he just rattles off some names that Tony had dated, including Jeremy Sims from Chances. Yeah, Mick helpfully uh, reminds us that he was the one with the silicone implants in the buttocks. Yes. <laughs> I like the way he says Tony was a real chick magnet. <laughs> yeah, with his marsupial-like good looks. <laughs> Michael Jackson does come out of the backstage area because there are allegations. He's in the news for all that stuff, I should say. You know, that stuff. Basically, um, yeah, Michael Jackson comes out Wearing um, Billy Ray Cyrus's red overshirt by the looks of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all I was reminded of when I saw, um, yeah, Tony in the, in the makeup. It's not a bad get-up apart, well, apart from the red shirt. Well, there, there's, a joke, there's a joke about how there's going to be a Pepsi ad featuring a young white Australian male, and, and I think Mick says, I hope it's not going to be the little fat kid. So, you know, yeah. that, <laughs> that's, that's a joke of the era. But I, I I like the line how they kind of lean into the fact that the the plastic um the plastic makeup isn't amazing, and and you know they talk about Michael Jackson's plastic surgery and he said well actually I've had plastic surgery to look more like Tony Martin, so, <laughs> yeah. so that that's kind of a nice way of dealing with that one. I thought the boon walk was very funny. Yeah, like, it's worthwhile just for that. The when he says you're a feisty one, Mick Malloy, that was one of those other things that we always used to quote, and the, the fact that he you know. 
he was in his bed with the llama, the five monkeys and the, the bones of the elephant man, which is very tasteless now, but as a teenager, that was uh, something we used to find amusing. And it's a funny, funny story. I was curious. Did he actually own the bones of the elephant man? No, he, um, he bid for them um, back in 1987 and he offered a million dollars for them. And uh, basically they're, he was um, obsessed with them and he spent lots of time with them when he visited London because they were stored at the uh, London Hospital Medical College. And basically um, they said, no, we're not going to exploit the situation. We're not going to sell them to, to Michael Jackson. Um, but then it just kind of alluded to this story that he actually owned them. Um, uh. So that's that's what I read. Um, but I remember reading all about that in Smash Hits and all those magazines and yeah, as a teenager, we just found it amusing. Nowadays, it's kind of sad, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that Smash Hits was the place to go for your Elephant Man content. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jackson was very interested in in sort of, you know, the weird and horrifying in the occult. Um, my other half used to work at Foils, this, this very well-known London bookshop on Charing Cross Road, and apparently Michael Jackson came in one day with with several of his minders and just and just went straight to the horror section and basically did a horror a sort of a trolley dash around the horror section and just bought several thousand pounds worth of this stuff and paid with a check right oh. the check bounced oh, it? <laughs> oh no was, was it really horror. was it one of those really big checks as well here about like, <laughs> yeah yeah well you, you'd, you'd think that that would have tipped off the foil staff member wouldn't you but, but this was the early 2000s and so people were still taking checks and they thought, well, it's Michael Jackson. Of course, he's got the money, but he didn't because he sort of famously ended up kind of bankrupt towards the end of his life, didn't he? Yeah. Mm. The check bounced, oh, essentially. Just as the well, they, they didn't accept his check for the bones of the elephant man. <laughs> <laughs> and I, think he had, I think he still had money in the 80s, not, not so much mm. in the early 2000s. Just quickly returning back to the sketch, I think what really makes the bit for me is um, – uh, Tony as Michael Jackson saying, do I look like some kind of weirdo to you? And Mick's cheeky look to camera. <laughs> yeah. Not saying a frigging word. <laughs> and now it's over to the news desk with Tommy G. I'll go straight through the bullet stories, really, which are Joe Bailey uh, sacking hits Pakistan. Uh, <laughs> 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 Sorry, I couldn't even get through that one. <laughs> Paul Keating meets Bronwyn Bishop with the Chinese dragon. Uh, US Air Force drop urgently needed food to central Bosnia and see Pizza Hut deliveries happen. And, and again, they spent ABC, well, I assume they spent ABC money on a, what do we reckon, 10-second gag? Like, like it was it was the actual members of The Late Show, you know, uh, uh, parachuting, uh, you know, holding prop uh, pizza boxes. Eight cents a day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and back... To Michael Jackson stories, uh, saying Michael Jackson uh, caught in child abuse scandal and it's odd that he started his tour in... Bangkok. (laughs) 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 Yeah, cancelled all his publicity rounds but had a a pre-recorded message. You don't have a clip of that? No. We're not playing that. As far, I thought... Bangkok. ...was the only decent grab from that story. Pretty much, like it's all the, it's all the. Well, like we we lived through it all, you know, all the allegations and all the 
jokes about what he was up to and i mean we still don't know if it's true or not nasa searching for observer space probe as they've lost it and strange signals were coming in sounding like g'day it's john blackman from telecom mobile then number seven still funny still funny (laughs) (laughs) and people claim sabotage after it found intelligent life like the macca's logo on mars bruce mcavaney is in his studio after arriving from stuttgart now this is just brilliant Mm. The doyen. Yeah, there's that word again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we get a Jane Kennedy, what a beautiful woman, as yeah. as Bruce goes yeah. through the the runners and riders on the Late Show cast, which is which is good. Um, he's, he's then he then towards the end he, he threatens to start listing random German cities, which is <laughs> very much in in Bruce's wheelhouse. I do, I do love this whole thing. It's like I remember everything, <laughs> and then he comes <laughs> off. All of it, including um, I'm not sure, and then the ad that comes. <laughs> it's very funny. I just love the fact that uh, when they go to play the clip, and he goes, "Oh no, I remember everything I say." It's such, it's such a great conceit of the whole sketch. Yeah, and then when he pauses, it's like uh, you're right. He goes, "Oh no, it's just some bullshit." John Walker's talking. <laughs> Bruce McAvaney, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the late show. It's been so good. And you guys, well, they're doing so well. I mean, there's Tony Martin, Jason yeah. Stevens, Mick Malloy, Bruce. Santa, hasn't he had a good year? Bruce. Tommy Glover, <laughs> Rob Sitch, the veteran. Thank you, Bruce. Lucy, Bruce, please. Judith, Lucy, she burst onto the scene. She did indeed. She just got on. Jane Kinney, what a beautiful uh, Bru- woman. Please, oh, Bruce, enough. Thank you. I'm Bruce. sorry. Please. Do politics now. Tommy. <laughs> I've found Stuttgart on you. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce, please. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a wonderful live dynamic. And, um, yeah, Rob being his cheeky old self and um, going on and on, as uh, Bruce would say, it's great. And and you can see it on uh, the Barjas Olden Days DVD. I forget whether it's an actual Esther or an um, Easter egg, but it's definitely there. Other bits were Paul Keating uh, planning to buy a new table for the lodge, and it had a big question mark on it because it was a $20,000 table from Thailand. Oh, uh, sorry, not, not Bangkok. <laughs> no, like, th- like Thailand table, perfectly legit. Bangkok, Bangkok table? <laughs> now I'm not so sure. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, he goes to demonstrate that all their furniture is 100% Australian and results in his desk collapsing and seeing... Tommy G in his underdirts. Footy socks he's got on and no trousers. Yes. Yeah. So, so if, if you like to see Tommy G's legs, this is the episode to watch. Yeah, this more, is all more awakening. Before the Zoom meetings. Yeah. <laughs> A Japanese PM has apologised for the country's wartime record, especially to Daihatsu Shiraz. I won't hear anything bad said about my first car. (laughs) (laughs) They they can apologise for the Toyota Corolla 1984 model, which was my first car, because that that thing would never start in the winter. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a manual. But some billionaire property developer was arrested for perverting the course of architecture, which showed a really hideous design. Well, Uh, Bruno Grollo. That's him, Bruno Grollo, yeah. (laughs) Was past tense in the past. Uh, salvage work on German boat U five three four, where they find a mint condition craft work album. <laughs> <laughs> Good joke. That is, yeah. 
And it is that time of year where Jurassic Park has just hit the cinemas or is about to hit the cinemas. Uh, the exclusive clip playing uh, showing the $20 million special effects and it was just all stop motion, same sound effect. It was, it was brilliantly done. <laughs> it's worth mentioning that there's quite a lot of stop motion in this episode and it's yeah. really, like I think Daniel was saying before about the parachuting gag, like there's quite a lot of money spent on this episode to very mm. poor effect. <laughs> I know this is a spoiler, but like they do all these rice stop motion ads and then they do this Jurassic Park thing, which is cute and cheap, but they also do that really expensive Sega game with for the Oz Brothers. Yeah. That would have cost a million nineties dollars, right? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't easy to mock up a computer game in those days. Well, I remember reading a thing, like an article on the late show where they were talking about the rice because those they're parodies of ads that cost like millions of dollars. Yeah. And they said, oh, we did it for some ridiculously low amount of money. I don't know whether it was just they got the intern out the back to glue chunks of rice together slowly. <laughs> but supposedly the, the big deal was that this the real ads had cost like a mint, a huge amount of money. And the late show versions, which were, you know, 80% as good, cost 20% as much. So... They probably had, a, at this stage, they probably had a bunch of fans who were willing to do stuff for cheap and or free as long as, you know, they got to sit in the audience. <laughs> yeah, there were incredible rice sculptures that they created. Some of them were they, so good. Yeah, they definitely put in a lot of work to the rice. But, yeah, I just remembered one of the few things I do remember from the 90s is that story that, yeah, supposedly not as expensive as it looked. I do love this Jurassic Park stop motion, though. It really reminds me of how fucking great it was in 1993 when that movie came out. Like, <laughs> it's still one of my favourite movies. Like, it's just it just blew everyone away. Like, yeah. it's so gross. And it just reminded me of, oh, I remember those times. <laughs> I've definitely worn yeah, out there my were, there, were, there were no farmyard ducks in the original like there are in the uh, <laughs> Late Show parody. <laughs> Or, or, so, or, or somebody just moving a Lacoste bag across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> or the price tag on the uh, dinosaur, that was good too. Well, they have to return it afterwards. So. <laughs> yeah, and the Lacoste yeah. stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just want to say, Razia is coming! <laughs> of several Gabbo-style teasers we get across this episode, which ah, I just... I love okay. this. What is Razia? Mm. <laughs> and oh, when Razia appears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll right. get there. We'll, we'll get there, everyone. Now it is a commercial, Sunbland Rice, which is the parody of these ads. There's one food that's as natural as corn on the cob with far less sugar. It's as cheap as chips with a lot less fat. It's as convenient as a can of beans, with a lot less salt, and it's as easy to cook as a boiled egg, with no cholesterol at all. Now, is that voiced by the Good Life dude? No, it's not Richard Breyers, but it, it, I think it's an Aussie actor that you heard heaps in the 90s on ads or somewhere. It's really familiar. I forget his name, but I think he does the intro on Irrational Fear podcast. Yeah, that's talks guy. about naughty words like Brexit and Section 44, which is really starting to date that podcast as well. There'll mm-hmm. be old references by now. Oh. I, but I, I forget the name of the voiceover artist, unfortunately. Imagine if it was the guy who does the SBS, the old 
promos. Tonight uh, on SBS. Yeah, that's him. Adult things. <laughs> Adult humor. <laughs> <laughs> May contain nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that got me when they put this ad on, because just before they had Jurassic Park, which for some reason in my head took place 10 years ago, <laughs> but then this rice ad is like, oh, yeah, when you were a kid, rice was weird and foreign. Like, there was so yeah. much food that just wasn't part of Australia's palates. And they had to run ads to say, hey, rice, you can eat rice, you guys. <laughs> like, lots of people are like, well, rice, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, but then and- for like the next 15 years, we were all completely botching it in the saucepan. <laughs> 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 Get a rice cooker. Obviously, uh, well, as I, for myself, my mum's Asian, so and my dad used to be a chef and we just had rice pretty much every day. So to me, this was just like, yeah, why are you advertising rice? <laughs> my daughter saw this. Uh, yeah, exactly. And my daughter saw this this ad and she's like, I want this video on my iPad. I want to have a screenshot. So I passed down the love of rice um, <laughs> through the generations. Um, she hasn't seen the later ones that they show in this episode. Uh, but apparently this, um, yeah, this this rice ad uh, won a lot of awards and the sculptor is called uh, Justin Robson, uh, if you look at some of the comments on the YouTube ads. And he had to do this, obviously, frame by frame and um, very painstakingly assembled. I wonder if um, he had anything to do with, this, with the actual Late Show's uh, version, if it was so difficult to do. I wonder if they were ones that made the cutting room floor. <laughs> and they got cobbled together for a late show joke. Oh, <laughs> imagine the one that's further down the track. Oh, yeah, not alert. that whale one. <laughs> spoiler alerts again. Yeah. Speaking of spo- it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a, a good sort of joke with this first uh, Rice Ad parody, which is that, gee, there's not much you can do with it in stop motion. You can make a pile. You can make a bigger pile. You can yeah. spread it out. And sprinkle some parsley on top. <laughs> Not as much as we thought. <laughs> it's muckraking time, and Mick and Jace are in the shit. So, uh, sitting on the lounge, handcuffed, sitting next to their lawyer, who just oddly just oh, happens to look officer. like parole, parole, parole officer. Parole yep. I wrote this down Terry Johnson, their parole officer, who I think is Michael Hirsch. Is that Michael yeah. Hirsch? Yeah, well, moonlighting. Very parole officer. <laughs> yeah. Looking very look, look. serious there. Yeah, looking looking very serious and bored, and you also see later on you see him just reading a magazine on his own. <laughs> I know that was great. Uh, they're in trouble for staging a protest outside Channel Nine Studios after the firing of Joe Bailey from South of the Century, and they do a classy reenactment. Uh, now I've got an important question to ask you, and I want you to think about it. Right, take your time. Would you like to leave us, or would you like to come back again next week? Here's some thinking time. <laughs> Well, I'll stay. <laughs> I don't think you will. <laughs> okay, thanks for joining us. So that's it? No, 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 that's not it. Nothing leaves here empty-handed. You, of course, get your complimentary sale of the century board game. <laughs> You'd like a shot at that? Yes, please. Okay, take your pick. What would you like? Um, clubs. Clubs? Oh, I'm sorry. The payout was under hearts. See you next time. And then, yeah, all finishing on that. 
I don't know how much of a cliche it is of doing the above the head wave like a ticket. <laughs> I can't think of any other program apart from Sale of the Century where they do that. I know, it's a real dislocate your shoulder kind of move. <laughs> Pretty much. Wow. It was great wave acting from Robin Jones. Well, they had to do it above the head because you wouldn't see it as the camera panned out that very, very long set, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It does, it does, yeah, it, it would look even worse if you were just in front of your face like that. Back to the protest outside Channel 9. Now, they had at the protest uh, Pete Smith, Shirley Strawn and Lou Richards. Now, this is... Uh, and. Featured on our Jason Stevens podcast, there was a snippet that Jason did talk about with the protest. You know, we basically, that was a typical, you know, sketch idea, which we, you know, made on the run where we just basically thought of that idea, wrote it, and then just raced out to Channel 9 and organised, you know, some extras to turn out with placards. I think we may have told Channel 9 that we're doing it. We couldn't go in, you know, into their premises, but we sort of hung out on the other side of the boom gate. I think we may have given the warning that we we're doing it, but it was kind of quite sort of, you know, I mean, that was the pace of the show. We just, you know, turn up and film and hope for the best, you know. Um, ask, ask for forgiveness later. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was a really excellent part of that interview you guys did with Jason, and I love that. Because I actually think that this is the greatest muckraking they ever did. And <laughs> it's got that real element of spontaneity and magic that just happens. Like some of the bits that, um, you know, Sherl and, and the Pete Smith amazing lines that come, <laughs> they just they seem like, wow, just serendipity. And, uh, yeah, I think it's an incredible thing. And also I know you've used this gag a lot with the whole crazy anti-vax situation in Melbourne, but <laughs> it really is a great example of how protests can escalate and, you know, like the look on the face of the guy in the um, in the gate office, like, okay, is there anything to find out? <laughs> and then there's more of the extras who go, you're going home in the back, back of, of a TV. Like, really great. Well, supposedly, I'm not sure where I heard this or whether I actually heard it myself, but supposedly they put a call out on Triple R that morning that they wanted people to go down to Channel 9 for a, a sketch. And so when you look at the crowd, it's very much the sort of triple R student audience <laughs> yeah. that has got nothing better to do on like a Thursday morning or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. One, one of them is wearing a T-shirt that says 100% month art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So triple R. That's a triple R listeners T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, there's someone who got in touch with us on on Twitter and Facebook, uh, Leonard Puglia, and he says that he was one of the people in the crowd. He was the one held, holding up the a two ridge sign yeah. and he didn't actually know what that what that meant it's a reference to Julius Caesar but which the original source is a two brute as in that's you Brutus you um you're a, um basically Julius Caesar says it and he recognizes him as an assassin I had to Wikipedia that but anyway uh, <laughs> he basically um at the time was just asked to hold up this sign and so yeah, yeah, he definitely was one of the um definitely one of the crowd that um was just asked to Come on down. No, that's that's the wrong game show. Well, the, the Channel Nine studios back then as well were really central. Richmond, they were just like off. Is it off Bridge Road? Street, yeah, it's really like people live nearby. You just walk around the corner. It's not some sort of industrial complex like they are now. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like I, I recently did a bit of a walk 
in that area and it is so um, residential. Like they've yeah. turned Bendigo Street into um, flats. They put, I don't know where Channel 9, oh no, Docklands. I do, I do know because my train stops outside it. Yeah, but when they're but yeah, the, the, the only studios that would actually be there would probably, probably be just the news. Yeah, I think it is just the news stuff there. And Channel 7's just down there as well, and that's just their news and football stuff as well. But, yeah, Bendigo Street was a huge... I think it was a... Was it a brewery or a bean factory? It was factory a piano factory. It was a piano factory, then a soup factory, or vice versa, and then it was Channel 9, and now it's apartments. I love how on the other side of the boom gate you've got all these GTV9 stuff just kind of standing around, just going, what the hell's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Because it's really weird because it, it sort of looks semi-official because they've got actual real nine personalities like Pete Smith and and um, and Lou Richards and, and Cheryl kind of getting involved in it. But I, I love all the stuff with Pete Smith because, you know, clearly a lot of that's improvised. But there's like, oh, okay, why don't we make it look as if we're going to roll Pete Smith's car? So you've got them all on each side kind of rocking his car back and forth. And then and he kind of sticks his head out the window and goes, if you don't stop doing this, we'll start running Don Lane shows again, right? Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is a really nice kind of improvised line. And, and, you know, there's all the stuff, the burning effigy and... You know, I like, I like the bit they've obviously said to the extras, oh, you know, can you look as if you're crying? And half of them are laughing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's sort of... Yeah. Pete Smith is absolute gold in this. Like, yeah. like yeah. that line you were just saying, Alison, straight after that he goes, did you get that last gag? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what makes it. Yeah. And also I love this funny little visual bit where Pete Smith is on a megaphone. And, you know, he's, like, saying some really funny stuff like, Joe, like all our people except me will get an opportunity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At that moment, Jason has a microphone up against the megaphone, which is <laughs> just quite stupid. <laughs> you can tell, tell why it hasn't been fully released because of the usage of the Beatles in yeah. Yeah. actually yeah. 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 yeah yeah all we are saying is give joe a chance and yeah, it's, yeah. so if madmen have to pay five hundred thousand dollars to release a snippet of, for their episode imagine if it did it for the late show yeah and, and plus the guys who own the rights to your going home in the back of the divvy van like... <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're very expensive oh hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I will point out, though, and this is just an observation, Daniel, if you want to have a look, not now, but in the next episode, report to me next episode, when they're doing um, You're Going Home in the Back of a Divvy Bat, there's a guy who's really going hammer and tongs with his uh, clapping. Uh, oh, yeah, you're sort of making gestures yeah, towards yeah. The, the band. Yeah, and you see him for a split second. He's got red hair, curly red hair, yeah. right? Mm. He looks like the guy who did the Bart Simpson jump on stage yes. thing at startled yeah. yes oh and yeah. he, he also slaps the divvy van as it drives off doesn't he so if you can go back to that episode where mick yeah. and tony are doing yeah. their thing and then when you're saying that it was totally random because they looked a bit off i reckon it's the same guy i don't because the skinny runt that got <laughs> uh, this guy's wearing a lumberjack shirt <laughs> he was like about 20 yeah, kilos i, I can't remember him yeah <laughs> Skinny run. <laughs> I'm such a fan of that poor guy. <laughs> <Not>. <laughs> oh. 
you've opened a really interesting can of worms here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get the tapes out and investigate. It's the ginger gate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this podcast is about. We're completely destroying everything, over-analyzing where we don't even need to. So that's the reason why you're listening to this. Uh, so anyway, that's just a thought, Daniel. So have a look. Ooh, Ooh 17 minutes to Razia. Thank you. <laughs> I don't I don't think the timing's accurate, by the way. Just pedantry. Yeah, pedantry, pedantry. Oh, oh that is my favourite bit of pedantry. Pedantry. <laughs> and we're moving on. And it's another commercial. Sun bland again. Which food provides protein to more people in the world than fish? Which food is higher in fibre than fresh fruit? Which food uh, can be carried by a car? Which food can be made to look like a computer? Which food... Oh, now you're just being silly. Right. Seems to have a mind of its own. I do love Rob's RP. Yeah. Oh, which food could be made to look like a computer? <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for a new segment because Charlie the Wonder Dog had to go elsewhere in the previous episode. And it is time for... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I yeah, do. Okay. I'm not expecting that. <laughs> okay, now, now, now press the button, Matt. Can you press the button? And yeah, press exactly. <laughs> see, see, I was expecting... <laughs> <laughs> and, and then instead of going... <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I got, yeah. Oh, why does that come as a surprise? Now, I, I've, I've, I've got to admit, sort of seeing the titles of Barjas... Like for the first time, and sort of seeing, like, like it's it's all cut together very well, and yeah, basically seeing a fat guy fighting crime, and then I think I think the audience pretty much gets it as soon as the title Barjas comes, (laughs) accompanied by Lucky Grills barging through a door. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you know, you know what you're in for. Yeah, it's interesting, like. Most of my memories of Barjas are clearly from towards the end where the second the music starts, the audience goes nuts. And to see it like the first time where people are clearly just sort of going, what, have, what is this? Why is this hefty guy burling around? <laughs> and then, yeah, once Barjas comes up, they go, oh, okay, yeah, now I get it. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw this that I, I found it a bit confusing because I had never heard the expression barjas for a fat person. Oh, I, it, it just it was it was just a slang term that that had never permeated my consciousness. So so it sort of took me a couple of episodes to actually oh okay right this is a word for fat people I get it now. It was yeah. a Melbourne uh, word for fat people. Uh, yeah, not an Adelaide word. Well, yeah. if you watched one of the best bits of the, what was it, the second best or the first best of the degeneration that they ran uh, during their break, or at least it's on the VHS slash DVD, Santo actually says barjas in one of the clips from the degeneration. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Before yeah, his head explodes. It's a word like I've heard all my life. <laughs> <laughs> for me no, the, I'm the same first time I've heard of it was through this medium <laughs> so uh, the link to expands so, your vocabulary of yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say though I don't know if I'm just speaking for myself but 
watching Barjas for the first time, I was like making the link between, oh, like with Rush and with Bluey, they were two shows that completely replayed for our generation. So I'd never seen them before. So mm-hmm. for the late show, that was like a brand new original artifact. I was fascinated. And to this day, I don't know what um, Rush is like in a full episode or, or Bluey because I've never watched that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. I've seen episodes of Bluey when Channel 7 showed them like later in the 90s. And they were very similar to Barjas, but just a lot slower. Like, it, it, it's not a serious cop drama. It's, it is kind of yeah. It's it, a it, it, could, it couldn't be serious with uh, with someone like Lucky Grills in the lead role. No, no, no. It's a comedy. It's just you're sitting there going, "How does this go for an hour?" It's just like <laughs> going on and on. Barjas gets it done in like three minutes. Where that's all we need. But yeah, it's. I was really surprised. I kind of thought, oh, they've clearly taken some radically different show. But no, it's it's a fat cop and a lot of Melbourne backlot. The first episode of Barjas, where it's called "Where's Me Bloody Pizza," does reflect on the actual first episode of Bluey, which is what it was called, and the first episode was called "The First Bloody Day." So at least it has the hallmarks of that. So. Barjas, uh, this episode is starring Christopher Scase. Um, and for the nerds out there, hop onto YouTube or whatever audio streaming service you pr- prefer. Uh, the If you want the theme song for it, uh, for Barjas, it is Brass in Action by Keith Mansfield. Mm. And such an, an excellent choice too. I kind of feel like it might have been the hand of Tony Martin that, that picked this one because it's such, it's such a great choice for action cop drama yeah sort of it, it really it really sets the scene very well for for the 70s cop drama so well this is where the teaser comes in that uh, that came out during the week so the scene um that we all know from barjas is this actually i'll play the barjas version it isn't easy there's so many fat jokes haven't you learned your lines yet it isn't easy there's so many fat jokes to remember <laughs> for god's sake put the script away Let's just add lip for a while. Yeah, all right. Couldn't hurt. Even John English wouldn't do this stuff. <laughs> Kids are being hijacked by Christopher Stance. Barjars. Yeah? Bad news. Your pizza's been stolen. Hell. Good hurry, Sarge. <laughs> Probably on its way to Mallorca. <laughs> Out of the way, extras. <laughs> Here's the original, okay? So same scene, um, and all they ended up doing is taking about 10 seconds out for Barjas, but here's the full bit. Keeping yourself amused? Only just. What's this? Discipline reaction. That's Bluey's personal file. I wouldn't go through it if I were you. Where they go water. How did he ever get into that much trouble? Doing things his own way. Does them pretty well, too. Half a dozen branches still ask for Bluey on special jobs. But they don't want him back. It's the same sound. Mm. Bluey! Yeah? Young Dave McIntyre's been killed. Hell! Oh, my, that's great.
Ah, oh, the white extras. <laughs> Sorry. I really love that bit where he's like, um, what, what's the feed line? It was like, Bluey, your pizza's been yeah. stolen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that hell. I'm a real fan of that. I love that. But yeah. to hear that it's from the original. And the typewriter, too, or the, the fax or whatever it was called back in the day. Telex. Um, Telex. Telex. Telex machine. Yeah. 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 So that yeah. scene was in there. So it wasn't just them simply splicing in Pizza Hijacked by Christopher Scase. <laughs> Um, they did have a bit where it was the telex coming in. I, I think you're, you're, com- you're right, Tony, about how it being really slow paced. I mean, that scene just was agonizingly slow in comparison <laughs> to today's television. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that Tony doesn't quite have the voice down pat either in this first episode. There, there's bits where it's, it's clearly barge us, and then there's bits where you think, oh, it's, it's Tony Martin bunging <laughs> on a voice. Whereas later on, it's like he's he's much more into he's got it settled down. Speaking of settling down, how would you like to settle down with a box set of Bluey? Ah, here's the competition. It, it, enjoy, enjoy, the slow, <laughs> enjoy the slow paced cop hijinks of Bluey. I take it all back. Bluey was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> to be to, to be fair, it, it does also have there as an extra. Barger. Yes, it does. So mm-hmm. uh, this box set, um, we've got one to give away, thanks to mygeekculture.com.au, which, disclaimer, I'm associated with the website. It's an Australian niche pop culture website. Um, and they are donating a box set of Bluey, which is available through Crawford's DVD. You can either pay $70 for it or do the following to win this, and that is I want you to record your favourite barge-ass quote, kind of like what we did in the first season where we got people to record quotes, like I'll play a little snippet. Careful, there's three cubicles and one of them contains a pong. Oh, my eyes burning. Game over. You you just go back to the previous episodes. (laughs) Go to episode 20 and you'll hear the entire thing. So just record a quote into your phone and, bonus, do your best (laughs) noise as well. (laughs) This is going to be the most <laughs> filthiest competition. <laughs> oh, this is going to do me in. Yeah, so because what I want to do is I want to turn it into a remix. So episode 40, our final episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, I want to you know, kind of like what I did with Franco and uh, Competition Further. And I got a nice cup of tea with dogs, 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 dogs. Discuss that yesterday. I was on a bus trip to Bow. Once you stand, once you stand. Yeah, you get the idea. <laughs> so all you need to do record your favorite bluey quote can be short could be long whatever and then a separate audio file do a <laughs> your own noise mm. <laughs> i'm sorry Prue's going to lose it but yeah there's so <laughs> there's so many golden lines in barge ass yeah so this should not be hard for you to find a fave no and uh send them through to champagne late show at gmail.com by episode 40 of the podcast i'll have that as a montage a a new song basically i'm going to create a new song with those quotes so that's all thanks to mygeekculture.com.au this uh box of the bluey i'm holding up on the screen and it's a podcast as well okay that's the major prize winner and just as an incentive as well we've got a second prize winner is that if you want to update your champagne edition of your best bits of the late show dvd including barge us in the olden days i've got one here unopened so, because they're borderline out of print. Um, as, as our original 2001 versions of the DVDs 
uh, start to get more and more scratched, uh, yeah, these are going to become a rarity. So You have until episode 39 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast to get your entries in because I've now got to put it all together into a new song, which I'll reveal in episode 40. So get on to it right now. Well, just a final uh, gag is quite funny with the... Um, oh, Sarge, you can't light up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And also there's a great, uh, well, it's not great at all, actually, but it's like the worst man spread you'll ever see in the history of television. (laughs) The leg actually cocked up on the table. Uh, (laughs) uh, When he's he's going to the pizzeria. Yeah, that sets the tone for it. (laughs) And we have a live sketch and the Oz brothers are back. Mm, Their second outing. So Bernie's about to have a knee operation and there's no news article about it, so they've had a gutful. They're over it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. So they call Booney's doctor who is in the middle of the operation, of an operation, and they've always had a gutful, so they do turn on the news to see if there's any reports. The index remains unsettled whilst market analysts will believe be that the reaction Booney. to the budget will settle down next okay. week. Booney. Booney now. Now to Somalia and the Somalia? Warlord General Idid Committee. I'm going to wing this bloke up. I'm going to wing this bloke up. I'm going to wing this bloke up. Yes. Yeah, mate, it's Neville Oz here. Are you going to do a story about Booney's knee operation? Uh, no, I don't believe we are. Oh, that is unbelievable. <laughs> hey, you having a go at me? You having a go at you? Having a go- oh, I've had a gutful. <laughs> Does anyone know the newsreader's name? Because he was a good sport. See, there's a Graham Evans in the credits. Um, I'm not sure if that's the newsreader or not. That kind of rings a bell, actually. Very, very sure it's an actor, though. It's not. It's not an actual ABC News reader. I think my favourite bits were just—they're <laughs> not even really coherent bits of script, are they? They're just like no. They, they like certain words, like "poyage do," and <laughs> <laughs> and they just sort of repeat things over and over, and then they just talk about chisels and dragon. <laughs> it's just very much <laughs> emphasising one word. <laughs> They're not they're not very articulate characters, are they? They they just like you know you're either a dead set legend or you're a girl. Right? Yeah. Who was the one they said he wore a moustache? It didn't suit him, but he wore yeah. a Yeah, was that? Uh, we see. I, I I put together the list. So yeah, the the dead set legends were Dennis Lilly, Dougie Walters, George Negus, Jack Thompson. I think it was Jack Thompson who. Yeah. The, the moustache didn't suit him all the time. Uh, John Bertrand, Weary Dunlop, the Bush Tucker Man, Les Hiddens, and uh, yeah, Chisels and Dragon. Bun up, bow. Is there anyone That was Todd. Yeah. The streets are cold. Bun up, bow. That was Todd. Mate, that was Todd. I can't, I'm sorry. Mate. Are you old hey. enough? Well, like, I feel like an observation of the Oz Brothers is that they they celebrate all these Australian icons and stuff, and I just think about my kids wouldn't have a fucking clue who an Australian icon is. I mean, it's far more global for them, and it's just fascinating that this particular sketch is rattling off like 50 people. But even then, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. no, nobody, was, nobody was sitting there going, oh, dragon, yeah, oh, they were great. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 Kids in a certain era. Men yeah. of a certain era were, yeah. I think. Well, perhaps, but it was yeah. a whole bunch of Australian culture that was just kind of foisted upon us because we had no choice. 
And as soon as you got, you know, the smallest distance away from it, it was just like, oh, what a joke. Yeah, it wasn't like, you know, the early 90s was this golden age where everyone was sitting around going, oh, Boone, what a top bloke. <laughs> Dragon back on air. It's just like, nah, just <laughs> into the bin. Yeah, thanks for refreshing my memory. I had forgotten. <laughs> well, see, on the other side of the coin, the girls they list, Ray Martin, the Leyland brothers, Leyland sisters, uh, Darren Hinch, Stan Grant, Yarn Event, uh, the Little River Band, and then they deliberate over whether George Janikian is a dead set legend or a girl because... He does have a mo, but he's of an ethnic background. <laughs> Ooh. And, yeah, they eventually put him on the girl's side of the fence. I don't know what else to really say, especially about the, uh, yeah, the, the people they, they reckon are girls. Isn't Little River Band Australia's first all-girl band? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, just to sort of break up the tedium, uh, across the screen scrolls 12 Minutes to Razia. Is it 12 minutes to Razia, though? I mean, has anyone done the timing? I haven't, but I sort of estimated it, and I think it's wrong. <laughs> Unnecessary, buddy. What do you call that sort of bait bait advertising or whatever it was called? Sizzle. Sizzle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the whole point, like, I always, when I think of the Late Show, the Oz brothers are, like, towards the end. It's like, aren't they the last sort of recurring characters that we get on the late show i don't know i i loved it at the time really 100 percent loved it and i remember it was one of our most um quoted things in the playground and that whole story i might have told you about meeting merv hughes and and, and booney at southland you know like and getting him to sign the book <laughs> with the Oz brothers quote like that was huge for me at the time but just now I'm just like, oh, toxic masculinity can go sit in the corner. I'm not bothered. <laughs> hmm Well, there are still some huge fans of the Oz Brothers because I was on my work Slack on Thursday and, and all of a sudden one of my colleagues posts, this country is stuffed with the Oz Brothers. <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, hey. And then, then yeah. I told him about our podcast and website, so got a free plug there for it. Actually, this particular Oz Brothers is missing that quote, isn't it? They don't actually say this country is stuffed. No, because it's always uh, a part of gutful and unbelievable. And you have a mm. go at me. So, yeah, the uh, Oz Brothers uh, finish things up by playing a video game starring who else but Booney. I don't know. It just reminds me, because like, I think I freaked out about, like, this was to cost a million dollars. It's because have you guys ever seen um, You've Got Mail and the opening <laughs> is like tick, 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 you know, it's like this, I don't know what you would call it, a digital matrix of New York. And if you listen to the director's commentary for that movie, which thank you, I have done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Nora Ephron talks about how this cost an absolute fortune and, you know, this is the same sort of era of the 90s trying to do anything digital just would have been so expensive. Now, I don't want to... I'm just gambling on my dim memories on this, but I have some vague recollection that this was done by, like, a fan or something. I, I'm not sure if they paid money for this. I, I could be completely wrong and thinking of something entirely different, but I vaguely remember something about somebody asking them and saying, this must have cost you a fortune. And they were like, oh, no, some computer nerd we knew knocked it up over, you know, a couple of months or something. So I could be entirely wrong. This is the least useful 
pseudo fact I have on offer. <laughs> well, see, I, I've, I've got Sounds plausible. A, a, a tiny bit more, and this is also I might be wrong territory as well, because there is a credit um, in the episode, Computer Animation Doug Bain. Okay. Now I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure about this, but I think that might be the same Doug Bain who played Mephisto in an ABC comedy series called oh, Double oh. the Fist. <laughs> oh, I remember that. And I think. I think he might have done some of the CGI special effects. Oh, it's they very, did all of it's, that. It's, it's yeah. very cheap special effects heavy. That series. Yeah. Double the Fist was like they did it all entirely themselves, from what I remember. Yeah. Very yeah. much like that was their pitch that we could do this show with all this computer effects and we can do it ourselves. And I think that was how they sold it to the ABC to some extent. So, yeah, if it's the same guy, then I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, it's pretty well done. You know, it looks like a really yeah. authentic kind of early 90s game. It's pretty lo-fi. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a video of them running through, you know, making his moustache bigger and his gut bigger and, and all this. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're not really playing it. It's, it's just a video. But, yeah, it, it does look pretty authentic. So well mm, done yeah. to Doug Bain. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So great. We have another yeah. Sun Blend yeah. rice commercial. Yeah, just quickly, they're, they're no longer specifying how many minutes to Razia. Now we've just got to stand by. <laughs> stand by through several more sketches before we get to it yeah yeah that's true yeah another commercial of sun blend rice and it's a very outspoken food mm. yeah there's a lot of stereotypes yeah. in this next one mm. Talking yeah, you've, about got, like... you've got the japanese spearing a whale um and yeah. something about tiananmen square as well so yeah. and the malaysian yeah. kid that's getting kidnapped by their dad the Malaysian takeaway, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, everything was really horrible puns. Yeah, a fiery French dish uh, signified by a, a rice mushroom cloud. And, yeah, Germany represented by a swastika. <laughs> <laughs> have, a, have, a, have a taste of what Germany is rediscovering. <laughs> yeah. That's a 50-year-old reference there. We're back on stage and it's late show fan mail time and Tony reads a letter from S. Ranch from Mulgrave, Victoria someone finding an, an escort service ad in the yellow pages with an image that looks like Jane. I, I, I hold you partially responsible, Alison, for opening the floodgates to all these uh, lookalikes <laughs> that we're about to experience. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I wasn't the first lookalike. I was just an early adopter. Tony Martin in the Diff Lamb commercials is a pretty bloody good lookalike, though. Yeah. Well, the, I, I don't know. I think I think Rob is a World War Two Nazi soldier. It's a goofy Rob, though that one. Yeah. But yeah, I, I distinctly remember that escort uh, ad was legit because we looked it up in the yellow yeah. pages and found it. I, oh, I can't God, believe man. we didn't keep the page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a very convincing Jane lookalike. Uh, yeah, uh, in an ad for club escorts in the yellow pages, as the boys say. Delightfully sophisticated and fun-loving companions. Yeah, that's our Janie. <laughs> Very beautiful woman. Oh, anyway, uh, Tommy G reads out a letter uh, from Michael Ryan, and it's a bit awkward where it comes out to talking about religion, <laughs> religious yeah. schools, and Catholic priests. I tried to clean it up, and there's nothing there. Like the the person, whatever they yelled out, was not on microphone, so it was just more or less a reaction. Dear DGen, as several of the Late Show cast have admitted to being Catholics, 
I was wondering, were any of you abused by priests at school? Hey, hey, hey. Excuse me. I think it was just that people were laughing at that line. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think there was any call-out. I think the laugh was fine. It was because when he... Uh, that was, uh, I think, Annie Marva's well-known big laugh. Yeah. It, 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 it sort of seemed to me to be more like an awkward laugh, considering that they've sort of done a bit of a 180 here in going from funny lookalikes to were any of you abused by priests at school? And, um, and like, I know, I know that was probably a fake letter to get into a sketch, but... I just, um, I just think that's all performance. Like, it's all like, hey, everyone, you know... Like, we're trying to get serious here, you know. I reckon someone said something yeah. uh, from the audience that was quite offensive and then, but it wasn't nah. picked up on the mic. I, I, well, I mean, you might hear that, but I don't reckon. Right. But, it, yeah. I mean, regardless of that, it's like, you wouldn't do that joke today knowing what you know about the pain of all of those people who went through that for real. I, I don't, I'm not saying it's like, oh, woke culture or whatever, but no, I just think you wouldn't do that today. You'd leave it well alone. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, pe- people knew about what had happened in Catholic schools. It was starting to come out in the 80s and 90s, but, yeah, people would definitely be more sensitive to that. It wouldn't be a target for comedy, whereas, you know, I guess they're still kind of thinking, well, this is something we can we can make a few jokes out of. I mean, there's quite a nice line a bit later where he talks about how he was the captain of the under-15 jazz ballet squad. You know, that that's a nice line. I, I, yeah. do, I do like the fact that he attended the Lady of Perpetual Guilt. Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, for, for me, it sort of seems like uh, this bit from Tommy, um, it's more having a go at the current affairs tropes rather Ooh. than the actual abuse. But I do agree mm. that it's still too sensitive a topic that that you would you, you wouldn't do it today oh look I, I think you find with a weekly show like this as well a lot of the time there's jokes and sketches where you think if they had a couple more weeks it would have really been focused on what they were making fun of yeah but because they're doing it you know they've got a couple of days it's just like what's the funniest stuff we can put in get it done and move on and so like i think this sketch has its its heart in the right place and it wants to make fun of how tabloid TV exploits these stories. But then it's like, well, we've got a couple of jokes about child abuse and we've got to get some jokes in here and the sketch is going out tonight, so we've got to do what we can. I I do wonder if the late mail was a chance for them to present a couple of half-baked ideas. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like they weren't um, fully scripted, they weren't costumed, they just... You know, try them out, and I, I think that's fine. Yeah, it's, it's definitely their sandbox, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. you generally don't get quality material in this section, which is <laughs> part of your letter, of course. I was going to say part of my letter, which is obviously <laughs> yes. the most brilliant thing they ever aired. Yeah, <laughs> room to do their jokes, and yet people and viewers decide to ruin it by writing in actual letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and, I, and I'm I'm continue to be sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, did you say that this letter was written by S. Rant? No, 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 no. That was the first one. Um, it, this one was written by Michael Ryan. Oh, okay. I thought that was. A... And yeah, and and answered on on the joke that you know, as soon as it happened, I uh, I ranked Phil Donahue. But Jason uh, explains that during their break, they went and did something practical, and that was to go find the Wizard of Oz on the Hume Highway. So think 
like their New York, New York, the success from that, and I've gone, all right, let's now try a different musical. This 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 is pretty much the the less successful sequel to New York, <laughs> yeah. New York, really. Yeah. Yeah. Again, again, uh, your heart's in the right place, but it's just it's not as it's not as fun. No. no. It's impressive they got onto the Westgate Bridge to do it. But <laughs> the costumes, that, the costumes are great. It, it yeah. looks kind of slightly dangerous with all the cars going It's really past. dangerous. Yeah, I was, yeah. When they said the highway, it's like, oh, yeah. And then when they're on the Westgate Bridge, it's like, that is... That's I don't know up. how they got to do that. <laughs> That's, That's insane. Really, <laughs> you would not be walking around there. No. Props to the makeup and props to Tony exploding after being hit by the car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, so, so we we had uh, Jane as Dorothy, Jason as the Scarecrow, Tony as the Tin Man, and Mick as the Cowardly Lion. Yeah, it was beautifully shot too. It did have that Technicolor sort of thing. Yeah. We're on the stage again, and Judith and Jane are presenting something that they're trying so hard to do, but it just keeps falling over. It was brilliant. And that is uh, after a slideshow of them going on a glamorous holiday, which was legit because every photo had a, some booze in their hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the ladies provide travel holiday tips and Judith likes to pack something inexpensive that she can leave behind. No, no, expensive, not inexpensive. Oh, what did I do? Oh, right, inexpensive. Stupid. <laughs> Sorry, I did. This is, I was this, is ro- it's, this is not like flammable and in, inflammable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, chicken shit magnet. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, something something expensive and inappropriate that she can leave behind, and in this case, it's an antique clock. <laughs> I think only Paul Keating travels with antique clocks. <laughs> What's Tony reference to? That that's just a nineties reference. You know, Paul Keating's hobby is collecting antique clocks. Oh, that's right. and, this, and this was much mocked in the nineteen nineties because oh look at this snooty guy collecting antique clocks. Yeah, and he listens yeah. to classical music. Yeah, why doesn't he go to the footy like normal men? You know. Yeah. <laughs> it was all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's, he's, a girl. he's, he's definitely yeah, he's a girl. He's not he, a dead he, set he would be a girl. He would be a girl. <laughs> not a dead set legend. Hawkey would have been a dead set legend. Now, this might sound like a bit of an obvious tip, but don't forget that you are on holiday. The key is relaxing. Sleep in. Spoil yourself. Listen to the sounds of the sea and the always relaxing... Housekeeping. Minibar. Room service. Did you you order room service? No, I didn't order room service. I think you ordered some champagne. Brilliant crowbar in there. It, it is definitely a sketch worthy of having Mr. Champagne comedy in, though, because it, it, <laughs> it it's maybe not one of their better ones, this sketch. Oh, yeah. um, Rob knew. Rob fully knew because they kept yeah. fluffing all their jokes. It was a beautiful <laughs> train wreck. Oh, I yeah. don't think so. I, I think there was some really great um, joke delivered. Um, by Jane in particular, like there was the one where she described uh, the cocktail, you know, full of a fruit platter and umbrellas. Like that was a lot of words that she had to <laughs> successfully say <laughs> in the right order and she did a great job. Oh. But I, do, I guess it's just a little bit like it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just a little bit off-key because it's not all of the usual late show 
style. It's actually Judith's style, which we later will come to know very well. But yeah, this is this is in that sort of category of everyone disliking Judith. But I just think it was just slightly off key, you know. Fair well, enough. see, for, for me, I reckon that this, this uh, sketch doesn't really get going until we hit that nightclub uh, at the resort with uh, Jason as the uh, cocktail barman absolutely hamming it up in the background. <laughs> it's a little bit tricky for Jude and I because, um, well, we're rather yeah. famous. Celebrities, people notice Television us. It's a little bit awkward when we go out. So uh, it's very important to make sure... Yeah, we like to... Uh, you don't draw attraction to yourself. We so, like to keep um, it pretty low-key. Just keep it low-key when you head out. Anyway, so. uh, Jane Kennedy, uh, what are you having to drink? Oh, I'm not sure, Judith. Lucy from The Late, the Late Show. Show. <laughs> Gosh, that's a funny program. You would have heard of The Late Show. Yeah. Yeah, and I've seen you before. Yeah? Yellow Pages. Club <laughs> <laughs> You can absolutely tell that that's been sprung on Jane just by her reaction. <laughs> yeah. That's, she, a, that's she had a good no line. That's a good line. Do you notice also that they've got the Late Show caps and the Late Show T-shirts on? The Late Show T-shirts are actually different to the ones that they sold in the ABC shop. I know this because I've got one. And, and yeah, it has the ABC logo on the sleeves. And when you bought one at the ABC shop, it did not have anything on the sleeves. It just had the Late Show on the front. Yeah, they also had something, something I couldn't read on the back as well. Probably production crew or something on the yeah. back. Yeah. Okay. I will point out, though, uh, that there was always the subtlety of when they were going to hook up for a one-night stand. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> are, are you sure that's not them in their Thelma and Louise guises? They, they, they also brought back out for a second uh, showing. I mean, it's interesting the way it, this doesn't sort of click because, in a way, it really is that it's in that tradition of late show sort of list sketches that they would do live where it's like here's what yeah. happens at a video store here's what yeah. happens at a dinner party and it's just here's what happens when you go away but i think it's just not everyone has the same experiences going away it's just not quite as universal so you don't sort of the jokes don't quite land as well I mean, yeah, there are some decent observations in it, like individual bits, like, you know, the, the bit where they order room service and it's $90 for a ham sandwich. Yeah. You know, I think, I think any, anyone who's ever stayed in a hotel will have been stung for some ridiculous, you know, sort of bit of room service or whatever. But, but yeah, it just doesn't, it just doesn't kind of work as a cohesive whole, I think. It's just a bunch of kind of sketches, some or lines rather, some of which work, some of which don't. And, uh, yeah, we also get cameos from uh, Santo as a very sleazy gentleman <laughs> who it turns out is named Mustafa. And then uh, Tony uh, and an audience member uh, by the name of Jennifer. Yes, and that is the most unflattering wig Tony has ever put on his head, ever. <laughs> Doesn't do it for yeah, you. He, he, looks, he, he looks a bit like that, that character he was playing in the uh, the Paradise Beach uh, sketch <laughs> on, on, two, on two cordless phones, damn it. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> yeah. That's the Andrew Fife one when he was the guess what. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> you quite liked that one, didn't you? <laughs> The two hours later when they're uh, pissed as and, uh, yeah, uh, Santo gets to, to spit out his great line, hey, would you like me to speak Maltese to you again? Nini in hobo Hafna. Hafna. I have no idea if that's actual Maltese or not. Hey, uh, would you like me to speak Maltese to you again? Nina in hobo Hafna. Hafna. 
<laughs> there you go. I can speak Maltese. Yay. It was all right, but I um, would I would suggest um, that these jokes don't work because actually. No one really knew what it was like for two young women to go on holiday. You know, this was the 90s and nobody was listening to young women's stories, really, except if it was puberty blues or something. Yeah. It was like, so, yeah, it doesn't really land because nobody knows if German backpackers come in and drink all your minibar. It's like, hang on, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of a fascinating education, <laughs> but it's not that funny, unfortunately. The moment is finally here. Yes. Here we go. I don't think I'm ready for this. <laughs> Toilet break time. Act two, Razia. That's it. That's all I could use because <laughs> it was just all music and all dance, no talking. How to describe the act that is Razia? I mean... Basically, yeah, she's she's got her eyes open really wide. She's dancing around. She's wearing a sort of flamenco dress. The the mm. the music is is pure seventies disco, but but the dancing style is kind of got a Middle Eastern vibe to it. It it's a weird mix of of things that just don't fit together at all. And also, she's she's a rubbish dancer. The choreography is terrible, and. Yeah, I. Th- she, I kind she also of has really... a very bored, disinterested look on her face as well. Yeah, yeah. She's she's obviously really into it, whatever it is that she thinks she's doing. But you know, I I totally agree with Bernard. I'm totally perplexed by it, and it's rubbish. Well, here's Bernard's result. Such a dedicatee of the dance. I usually advise dancers to spend a lot more time at the bar. In the case of your presentation, I would rather have been at the bar, at the cocktail bar, actually, for several days. The other day, we scored a young person 10 for not turning up. Today, I'm being very generous and giving Razia 10 for turning up. There are areas we're expected to assess your work on. Talent, nil. Presentation, nil. Potential, totally nil. But a sum total of 10 for generosity. Amazing. And, and and we've we've heard those uh, words before: talent nil, presentation nil, potential totally nil. Uh, we heard those earlier uh, in this series um, being uttered uh, after the um, Nolene Donahue video clip. <laughs> and we'll also hear them again uttered by one of the cast uh, later on in this series as well. That's just a, an amazing takedown by by Bernard, and you can sort of see at first Razia is sort of having a bit of a laugh at it with the, yeah. you know, I should have been at the bar, yeah. you know, the cocktail bar. And then he moves on to being utterly serious and the smile just... Oh, her face. face. You can see the yeah. dreams being crushed. What are the scores so far, Daniel? Okay, so with that sum total of 10 for generosity, that puts her right at the bottom of the leaderboard. Oh. Now, um, I'm not quite sure how, like... If there's two people that are equal first, that means the next ranking is the third, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, well, it's just because we've got a couple of people on 15 points equal seventh. And, um, yeah, Razia shares 10 points equal ninth with uh, the infamous Chris the Cruel, you keep me hanging on. So, yeah, she's right on the bottom of the leaderboard. Time for Graham and the Colonel, and we have Colonel going to Hong Kong for holidays, or on holidays for shopping, where he got milk, bread, eggs, and toilet paper. And then um, 
Was it purchased at the duty free because there's a limit of four toilet rolls per customer? Everyone laughs at that. Yeah. No one, no one's laughing at that nowadays. It's actually, it's actually yeah. real. Uh, Graham yeah. went up north to the islands. Whit Sundays? Uh, no, the islands below the Whit Saturdays. I, th- I think these jokes deserve more credit than they're given, though. Yeah. I, I quite like Boxing Day Island, yeah. which is yeah. near near Christmas Island. <laughs> and also um, we have Alan Border holding the Ashes Trophy, which they're surprised at how small it is because he left them in his pants and they got shrunk in the wash. <laughs> uh, also, operations on the players: Boone with knee surgery, Merv with stomach staple, and Tim May with a comb over. <laughs> Sorry, th- th- these are just quick fire ones, that, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was a really quick round of the Colonel this episode. And Paul Keating in trouble for ordering the table, but it's back again uh, from Thailand because and made from a rainforest. At least Graham and the Colonel know where they got their equipment from. It's from the Dane Tree where they got their table. They know the exact part of the Dane Tree, and you could hear the ooh from the audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they found that galling and not the the the, the child, uh, you know, the <laughs> ca- Catholic abuse thing earlier. And also mentioned in the news uh, about the World War the U boat. I was mentioned earlier. Uh, according to Graham and the Colonel, uh, in the World Book Encyclopedia, I should say, Graham and the Colonel, uh, Gilligan was on board. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was really it of Graham and the Colonel. It was pretty lacklustre. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so much, of Graham, yeah, so much of Graham and the Colonel just relies on them stuffing up and then sort of feuding amongst themselves. So when, yeah. it's, when it's straightforward, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There, was, there's was... a, there is a bit where they say, oh, there's a bit of a lag in the audience when the audience don't laugh at any of their mm. jokes. So there's a little bit of that. Yeah. And I do love the bit where Rob starts moving his chair in and out and he's kind of just doing some exercises, doing <laughs> <laughs> the blood circulating. <laughs> we, we, we do also get a little bit of fighting with, um, uh, with Rob uh, operating the, uh, the ping machine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, Santo uh, yelling, shut up at him. Don't dwell on it, yeah. It was a very substandard Graham and the Colonel. I think they were sort of just, yeah, try, trying to get to the end of the episode. Especially for this closing where Tony decides to plug the Degeneration special and bag out the ABC at the same time. Yeah, the, the ABC's incredible publicity blitz. I mean, that was one of their complaints at the time, wasn't it, for, for the whole series, really, that they just got zero publicity and the ABC publicity department didn't seem to have heard of the show. Nah. And, and and really, it was a word-of-mouth hit. Yeah. The ABC publicity department was notorious for decades. They were very disinterested in a lot of their product. It was... Just from the media side of things, it was really hard for a really long time to get even basic stuff out of the ABC. It's changed a lot in the last decade or so. I think the internet has really put them on their toes. But before the internet, it was really tough getting anything out of the ABC publicity department. They just, I assume they had the ways they mm-hmm. liked to work. And if you weren't part of their system, they weren't interested in helping you out. Yeah, remember when I was 16 and I wrote to them and asked for a um, photo of uh, Fry and Laurie and they just wrote back and said no? <laughs> <laughs> I actually typed a letter. No. I, can't, I can't, be- can't believe they did that. They wrote the letter. No. <laughs> well, see, I, I also think that uh, some of Tony Martin's eye might have been that 
As far as I can tell, the listings in the Age Green Guide and also on the Saturday Ross Warnicky Critical Guide thing still listed the shows as the late show rather than best of the original DGen and an olden days compilation. So, like, the fact that the program information wasn't even making it out to the guide makers, uh, I'm pretty sure that would have definitely um, raised Tony's ire. So we have the musical finale, and it is not Cindy Lauper, but Maxi Walker. A girl, they want to have fun. A girl, they want to have fun. Fast forward two years to nearly exactly the same date where... Uh, Obviously, we can't get Max Walker on board to have a chat about the time. Uh, he did appear on Martin Malloy talking about that time. There's one thing I have noticed, particularly about Australian sportsmen. Every couple of weeks, you turn on the news and there's footage of a bloke uh, jumping into a bathtub full of baked beans, running out into the MCG in a ballet tutu, running up Hindley Mall in Adelaide with a stack of pancakes on the head because they've lost some kind of bet. It's, it's an Australian tradition. Have you ever had to do anything like that yourself? No, I, I was invited onto the Late Show once. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. You might remember that. I've never been able to forget it. The orange suit is just about immortal in my life. Oh, I mean, yeah. I can't get rid of it. Girls just want to have fun, eh? <laughs> Sydney Lawful. <laughs> I mean, I just let go of the steering wheel that afternoon. It was just <laughs> certainly sensational. You were in good company. That's all I can say yeah, about it. Exactly. You weren't the Lone Ranger, Max. Not on my own at all. <laughs> I did, sorry, Hindley Mall? <laughs> at least they what? didn't call it Hindley Mall. <laughs> yeah, in, indeed. Yeah. But, yeah, he means Pe- people, people, People from Adelaide fuming at that reference. <laughs> <laughs> Just and Hindley Street. <laughs> Honestly. Tony had a real Ocker accent in um, Martin Malloy, didn't he? It was hard to get over. Well, have, a, have a listen to this. Have a listen to the impressions. And Mate, I'll tell you what, I remember back in 73, the yeah, first time yeah. I saw a pack of three pack of yeah, CDs. Three pack, yeah. I had that three pack in my hand as I came steaming yeah. in from the rain weekend. I was in the subcontinent, I had the big red cherry and all I could think about was the three pack of CDs. I tell you what. <laughs> Dueling maxes. Yeah. They were just egging each other on, weren't they? Well, there was, a, I think it was, uh, you know, the phone compilation at the end of one of the albums. It might have been Brown Album or, or Poop Shoot. But, you know, when they had that kid sing Martin Malloy to Advance Australia Fair, that was a Max Walker impression. We got Joshua there. Yeah, I'm here. Joshua, give us a bit of Max Walker. Okay. Whether you've been beaten, bruised or hit, well, you're a girl or boy. All you should do is stand or sit and tune into Martin Malloy. <laughs> anyway, so that goes on. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, Max really puts his all into it. He does, Even yeah. though he can't sing very yeah. well, I'm, I'm guessing because he wasn't able to hear the music at the time, he doesn't keep very good time in it. Well, that oh, makes he's brilliant. so dynamic, though, isn't he? he just yeah, you can you, you, can't, you can't forgive him for that. Yeah. But I remember at the time being fascinated by the surroundings. Like, what was this house? You know, I was convinced that it was somewhere in Elwood because they've got a Tennyson Street street sign. And I don't think I fully understood the the prop set that they did. Like, there's this all these oranges and, and, a, and a juicer on the table. And I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> And, like, the little girls' room that they go to is so 
eclectic. It's hard to sort of get your head around it. It's like, are we a little girl's room? It's just got a bunk bed. It's got some weird stuff in it. But if you want to see yeah, the... to, to, to be fair, there's there's nobody else in the the Late Show parody um, where there's quite a cast of extras in the Cindy Lauper original. No. <laughs> like there's a, like there, there was some wrestler and some other person as as Cindy's mum and dad, and obviously Cindy had her you know girlfriends and all that, and you know then there's a big party right at the end of the video clip. Yeah, I don't I don't know why I know the video clip so well, but. Uh, <laughs> Oh, anyway, you can see the Max Walker clip on YouTube as well if you want to go for a search and see what the hell we're on about. But uh, now it is uh, audience ticket time after the closing credits and uh, everyone at the bar is pissed. So we're getting pissed anyway. And that was the entire... At the Wit Saturdays. Yeah, at the Wit Saturday Islands. <laughs> Any, anything to try and get a laugh on that gag. Yeah. Do you and- notice in this bit... Um, there's a slightly awkward moment where Santo is tapping Rob on the shoulder, like patting him, and Rob shrugs him off. Mm. <laughs> you have to watch that. It's it not no. But it's like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and now the closing credits. Uh, was there any Easter eggs, I should say, Daniel? Uh, well, certainly uh, slightly longer credits because um, the special guests were, and this is verbatim, the Honourable Wayne Goss, Premier of Queensland. Mm. I don't know what, like maybe it was part of his um, appearance uh, st- stipulation that they had to point out he's the Premier. Well, that's, mm. the, that's um, the proper term that you need to kind of do it, but now it's like the formal way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, along with Max Walker, uh, with Graham Evans. Uh, now, the thanks twos are a little bit longer because um, I would say, again, probably as a stipulation of being able to use uh, Bluey from Crawford's, they did have to thank uh, John Diedrich, Lucky Grills, the estate of the late Gerda Nicholson. Um, also, thanks to ABC News for the footage, uh, Commando Skydivers for that 10-second uh, news desk gag, uh, the Premier's Office Queensland, Shirley Strawn, Peter Smith, Lou Richards and the Victorian Police, which obviously uh, might let you know that they might have been in on the Joe Bailey uh, uh, protest there. Uh, They also listed the Rice animation uh, by Nick Hilligoss and the computer animation by Doug Bain. That really wraps it up for episode 31 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Wow, we've went through a lot. So, Yeah. Yeah. So usual contact details, champagnelateshow at gmail.com, Twitter at TLS Champagne, site champagnecomedy.com, uh, Facebook, The Late Show page, as well as the group, The Champagne Comedy Podcast. Uh, just search for it. It's on private, but answer the three questions and you're in. And our shonky Redbubble store, bit.ly slash champagne comedy. And don't forget, if you want to try and work out if you can enter the barjas competition... <laughs> Um, just skip back to Barjas and listen to what the hell I'm talking about trying to explain the competition. I promise it'll be easier next episode. We are not setting the bar very high, people. Yes. (laughs) In fact, if we set it any lower, um, I don't know. Anyway. We wouldn't uh, wouldn't have you enter. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Alison, Daniel, Kim, Prue and Tony for coming on. I'm Matt. Thanks very much. See you next episode. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions at fulton.com.au.